Today we come to this wonderful personal little letter we call Philemon. Of course, you can see in the very first verse, the human author is the Apostle Paul. And he calls, it's interesting what he calls himself. He calls himself a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Of course, Timothy was there with Paul. You can see the recipient or the, the person who received this letter is Philemon. Paul calls him there in verse uh, 1, the end of verse 1, our beloved fellow worker. But notice uh, we also see Philemon's wife is mentioned here. Paul calls her his sister in Christ. Uh, apparently uh, their son is also mentioned, Archippus, who is a fellow soldier in Christ. And then, of course, this letter was also read to the church that was in Philemon's house, which apparently was in the city of Colossae, so part of the Colossian church here. You say, well, who is this recipient? Who is this man Philemon? Uh, You can see here he was led to the Lord by the Apostle Paul. He was a wealthy member of the Colossian church. And as it says there in verse three or, or verse two, he was uh, a family man. The church was meeting in his house. His wife and son are mentioned there. Paul's short letter to Philemon consists mainly of a plea. He's urging, particularly Philemon, this godly man, to graciously receive his runaway slave, whose name is Onesimus. Remember, this is during the time of the Roman Empire. Much of the Roman Empire had had slaves. This was something that was normal. Of course, God is not suggesting that slavery is a good thing. He's not condoning slavery. Just The book is just stating this is the way it is. So Onesimus, though a godly man, had slaves. We assume he treated him quite well. But Onesimus nevertheless runs away. Uh, we see that he did become a Christian, and Paul is now sending him back to his master. We're going to see as we go through the book, while it doesn't use the word forgiveness, this book is all about forgiveness. After all, this this slave has run away, and apparently he's also ripped his master off. Uh, How is he going to pay for his endeavors to run away? So this book is all about for forgiveness. So let's think about forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Well, here's a, a working definition that I've drawn from the book Unpacking Forgiveness by Chris Bronze. He says that forgiveness is a commitment by the offended to pardon graciously the repentant from moral liability and to be reconciled to that person. So it's not just enough to to, uh, say, okay, you are no longer morally liable, but it it goes above and beyond that. There should be a reconciliation, a bringing of two warring parties together in unity. That's the goal. Well, the Bible says that we are to forgive others as God has forgiven us. That's what Ephesians says. Forgive one another as God has forgiven you. And so it's important that we forgive. It might not be an easy thing to do, as I'm sure it wasn't for 
Philemon, but that's what God wants us to do. And so failure to do so is going to bring at least four unpleasant results. So let's just think about this before we dive into the book. What's going to happen if, if we don't forgive? Well, number one, unforgiveness is going to imprison you in your past. You're going to be a prisoner to your past. Unforgiveness is going to keep your pain alive, whereas forgiveness allows you to move on. Forgiveness is going to free you from your past. Number two, unforgiveness produces bitterness. Bitterness is not just a sin, by the way, but it's an infection. It's it's like having an open wound and you get some sort of... uh, an infection within that open wound eventually if you're if it's not dealt with it can spread through your whole body and kill you you see the longer you dwell on offenses that are committed against you the more bitter you can become the bible calls bitterness a root something that has to be dealt with before it gets out of control uh, then on the other hand, though, forgiveness replaces bitterness with some things we see in this wonderful letter, things that like are the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. Number three, unforgiveness gives Satan an open door into your life, into other people's lives, into the church. It gives Satan the opportunity to work in and through us, sadly. Of course, we don't want that, but... Forgiveness, on the other hand, is going to shut the door on Satan. It's going to keep him out of our lives. It's going to keep him out of our churches. And then number four, unforgiveness hinders fellowship with God. Of course, you should be greatly concerned about that. If you're not forgiving people, you have you have cut off this wonderful fellowship that you sh- should be having with God. But then on the other hand, forgiveness restores us to this place of blessing with God. So let's, with that little introduction, we come to this letter written by Paul to Philemon. Let's read it together. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our brother, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, 
But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant. As a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And also do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let me just say I'm very thankful for godly men, in particular those who have been a blessing to the church. You know, Ephesians 4 mentions that God gives gifted people to the church to serve His church. And I'm thankful for many whom God has used in my life. We are greatly indebted, and I am indebted to Pastor John MacArthur, uh, particularly uh, for this particular sermon. I thank him for how God has used him. And I hope it'll, this message will be a, a blessing to you as it has been to me. But as I said, the, this wonderful book is telling us about forgiveness. We're going to see the character of someone who forgives. We're going to see some wonderful actions of someone who forgives. And we're going to look at some motives of one who forgives. So, we're going to kind of leave it in a general sense. Yes, we're going to look at the specifics of how God has worked through these, these different people here in this book, but we need to apply this to our own lives as well. We need to be people who, who forgive because we have been forgiven much. So let's take a look at the character, first of all, of one who forgives. In verses 4 through 7 here, we see the character of Philemon in particular. We see in verses 4 and 5, he had a great concern for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul begins the main body, starting in verse 4, here by praising Philemon. This was a godly man, and Paul knew Philemon's character. He knew him well. He was God's tool for bringing Philemon to Christ. And Paul says he was a fellow worker. He had worked with Philemon. As far as we know, Philemon wasn't a pastor, he wasn't an elder, he wasn't a deacon in the church, but the church there in 
Uh, the Colossian church apparently, as it says, did meet in his home. And because he knew only positive things about him, Paul was able to give thanks to God when he prayed for Philemon. You, you can see there even in verse 4, I'm thanking my God always when I remember you in my prayers. And Paul prayed for him. But he was encouraged by his good character. Paul had heard of the faith which Philemon had toward the Lord Jesus Christ in particular. He mentions that. The words in your, your Bible, at least in my Bible, you have, are showing that Philemon's faith was not just a one-off. It wasn't just a one-time thing. You have is in the present tense in the Greek language, showing it's continuous. It was an ongoing thing. He was saved by faith, but this faith that saved him was continuing on in Philemon's life. He was a, a genuine believer. And as a genuine believer, Philemon was concerned about the Lord, and he desired to please him. He had an unwavering faith, and his unwavering faith gave Paul great confidence in his willingness to forgive Onesimus. By the way, that's the way it should be with us as well. Our concern for the Lord Jesus Christ should be greater than our own concern for our wealth or our you know, our bank account or our so-called honor or whatever it might be. Philemon cared about the Lord Jesus Christ. But number two, he also had a concern for people, as you see at the end of verse 5. Uh, this faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and, notice there's an and, for all the saints. It's an interesting word there, love. The word love goes with the phrase uh, that, that comes earlier. And, and so you could literally read the text this way, love for all the saints. He had a love for all the saints. And this is an agape love. Agape is a Greek word specific kind of love. It's the, the love of will and choice. It's a self-sacrificing kind of a love. It's, it's a love that is, is a humble love. Love, of course, is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, according to Galatians 5. It's a sign of someone who is genuinely saved, someone who has a real faith in Jesus Christ. And so because Philemon's faith here was obviously real, it showed itself in this true biblical love. He had evidences of grace, if you will. And that love, by the way, expressed itself. Notice it's expressing itself in concern for people. So if you genuinely love people, then it's going to be easy to forgive someone who has offended you. Well, not only did he have a concern for people and not only did he have concern for the Lord Jesus Christ, number three, he had a concern for fellowship. He had a concern for fellowship. In verse 6, it says, Paul says, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. That word sharing in the English Standard Version there is the Greek word koinonia, we, we often translate that as fellowship or a, a mutual sharing. It means, by the way, much more than just merely enjoying each other's company. It's, you can go to a cafe and sit down with someone and 
you can do a lot of talking, but you understand it's, that doesn't necessarily mean that fellowship or sharing is taking place. This refers to a mutual sharing of all life. Why? Well, believers belong to each other. There's a partnership amongst believers that's produced by faith in Christ. There's a unity in Christ. And as a result of that, you're a part of the same family. We ought to be partaking together. Well, real faith and love are going to result in a concern for fellowship or a mutual sharing, as it says here. And so there's no place in the church for the Lone Ranger, if you will. For There's no place in the church for individualism. Sadly, though, too many people don't care about other people. Too, too many churches have too many people who, who walk in late and just sit down and then they, they leave right away and they never talk to people. They don't care about people. They're not praying about people. They're not forgiving one another. They're not, do, they're not doing any of the one another's of Scripture. That's just sinful. And so there was a concern for fellowship, as it should be. And so that concern for fellowship was motivation for Philemon to forgive Onesimus. Onesimus could now be a, a part of this church because he had become a believer. And by the way, failing to do so would lead to separation. And since Onesimus was now a Christian, that would, of course, be a bad thing. By forgiving Onesimus, Philemon would maintain the unity of the Colossian church. As we move on, we see more of the character of Philemon here. At the end of verse 6, we see he had a concern for knowledge. Knowledge was, was part of his character here. If you look at the end of verse 6, it just it says that the faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing. So how was Philemon to discover every good thing which was in him? How can anybody? Well, notice the word knowledge. It refers to deep, rich, full, experiential knowledge. You know, there's a difference between saying you, you know something, and then there's a difference between you actually experiencing that. And that's the idea here. This is something that's deep, it's rich, it's full, it's an experiential knowledge. It's the knowledge that comes through personal acquaintance with the truth. And that was Philemon. And so until he forgave, he could not experience it. By forgiving Onesimus, Philemon would experience the good thing which Paul is referring to as forgiveness. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. So he had a concern for knowledge, and then he also had a concern for glory, particularly God's glory. Notice the end of verse 6, he talks about it's for the sake of Christ. <laughs> Every one of us should be doing everything for the sake of Christ. The Christian life is all about Christ's sake. So your goal should be the glory of Christ, just as Philemon's goal and Paul's goal was the glory of Christ. And if that's true, then forgiving somebody is not going to be an issue, then is it? If it's all about Christ, and of course we're to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, then it should be an easy thing for us to forgive those who have offended us. 
We also see that Philemon had a concern to be a blessing. He wanted to be a blessing, as we see in verse 7, because he says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love. And of course, that's Paul speaking. He gained comfort and love from Philemon, because Philemon had a reputation for love, which was a fact that, of course, Paul's bringing up. And so through Philemon, the saints had been refreshed. People were meeting in his house. Philemon brought troubled people rest. That's godly character. And so you could say that Philemon was a peacemaker. And he was living that out in his life. So that's the character of this man, this man who forgave. Let's now look at the actions of one who forgives. And this is the really the main middle section of the book. How does he live this out in his life? Well, let's take a look at the actions of one who forgives. There's three actions in particular of somebody who forgives. If you're going to forgive, these are the actions you have to take. All three of them must take place. We're going to see that forgiveness involves receiving, it involves restoring, and it involves restitution. Receiving, restoring, and restitution. Let's take a look at all three of these, okay? The first step of somebody who forgives is you must receive the the offender, the one who has offended you. That's in verses 10 through 14 in particular. But this step involves opening up your life taking back this person who offended you. Yes, that's difficult. It's extremely difficult. You can't do that in your own strength. But Philemon needed to receive this slave back into his life because Onesimus sought forgiveness. How do we know that? How do we know that he sought forgiveness? Well, number one, he was repentant. He changed his mind in regard to his sin. And the fact that Onesimus was standing there before Philemon as Philemon reads this letter from Paul shows, improves his repentant attitude. So he returned to face his master whom he had wronged, whom he had sinned against. And this master, by the way, Philemon, had the power to punish him. In Roman times, masters could do whatever they wanted to to their slaves. He had the power to kill him, in fact. But he's standing there knowing full well that uh, uh, that Philemon has this power over him. So it shows his repentance. And number two, he's transformed. If you look at verse 11, you can see this, because Paul says formerly he was useless to you as an unbeliever, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Paul says he was useless, but he's been changed by the grace of God. And then, how do we know that this guy's seeking forgiveness? Well, he's been proven faithful. Been proven faithful. Verse 12 says he'd become so useful to Paul that Paul's sending him back. It's like Paul's ripping out his very heart. That's what he says. I'm sending back my own heart. To you, Philemon. And then in verse 13, Paul says he'd be happy to keep him, but 
Onesimus doesn't belong to him. So Paul realizes, no, he needs to go back to his master whom he belongs to. So you must receive the offender. That is the appropriate action of one who forgives. And number two, we must restore the offender. We must restore the offender. In verses 15 and 16, Paul asks Philemon not only to welcome Onesimus back, but to restore him to service. So apparently, Paul's saying, give him his old job back, if you will. Give him his old job back. Was this slave guilty? Yes, he was guilty. But God's providence was at work. God was in charge here. God used this evil to produce good. Because Onesimus somehow finds Paul and Paul led him to Christ. And so Onesimus left as a slave. Onesimus left as an unbeliever. But this is exciting because now he's returning as a Christian brother. And in the end, Philemon received physical service as well as spiritual service from Onesimus. The third step in forgiveness is restitution. Restitution. We see in verses 17 and 18 that uh, Paul says in verse 17, For if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. There, had, there has to be restitution. God has dis- described that, and God had prescribed that in the very beginning of your Bibles. You can read about that in the Old Testament. Obviously, Philemon had been wronged by his runaway slave. He may have had to purchase a replacement slave. Uh, it's, it seems likely Onesimus stole money or some possessions from Philemon to, to pay for his trip. And the Bible teaches that restitution needs to be made. However, having said that, Onesimus couldn't pay back all he owed to Philemon. Paying back what is owed is, of course, an essential part of forgiveness. And it would have been right for Philemon to demand this payment back, but Onesimus is a slave. He can't do that. But as you look at this, you see grace, don't you? You see grace. And of course, it's not wrong to give grace. Apparently, that's what Philemon does. As you see this little letter, don't lose sight of Christ. Don't lose sight of God's grace in all of this, because it really is a beautiful picture of Christ's work and what Christ does in every believer. I don't know if you thought about it this way, but Philemon... Notice what I'm saying. Philemon is not God, but he, in this sense, he's like God. He's been wronged, just as God was wronged by us. Anismus is like the sinner. He stands in need of reconciliation. And that's the same role, by the way, that Jesus plays in the relationship between the sinner and God. He's the reconciler. He's the go-between, the, the mediator who brings two warring parties together. And Paul is like Christ in, in the way that he's willing to pay this price for reconciliation. And so, my friend, you are like God when you forgive. When you forgive, you're like God. And you are like Jesus Christ when you pay someone's debt. 
God paid a debt that I could never repay. It was too great. There's no possible way I could pay my spiritual debt, but God in Christ paid it. That's a blessing. Well, although the Bible doesn't record what exactly Philemon did, he seems to have forgiven Onesimus and, and charged nothing to Paul. I'm glad to hear that. So let's take a look at some of the motives here. What is the, the, the foundation? What's driving Philemon and Paul here? Well, that's particularly Philemon. In verses 19 to 25, we see the motives of one who forgives. And by the way, each of these motives should motivate us to forgive people as well. Hopefully you can see these things, and these things will motivate you to forgive people who offend you. The first one is the recognition of an unpayable debt. Everyone has an unpayable debt that is no possible way, it is so big, it is no possible way you can ever pay it back. Paul talks about that in verse 19 where he he says, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Paul points this out to Philemon. And Paul's reminding him, you owe to me yourself. Paul's plan here is to put Onesimus' debt on his account. And then he, he's going to wipe it. He's going to cancel it because Philemon owes Paul an even greater debt. That's the plan anyway. So Anismus is Anismus owes Philemon a material debt. Philemon owes Paul a spiritual debt. Anismus, Anismus owes Philemon a temporal debt, but Philemon owes Paul an eternal debt. Do you see the difference? Paul had shared the gospel with Philemon. Paul had witnessed to Philemon. Philemon had come to Christ. He had put his faith in Jesus Christ alone. Paul was the one who led him to a saving knowledge of Christ, and for that reason, Philemon had an unpayable debt, a spiritual, eternal debt. Well, that principle applies to us as well. Let's think about as we apply this together. When somebody offends us, and what are they doing? They're, they're earning a debt. And we need to remember that we owe debts to other people too. And so all of us have people in our lives who have benefited us spiritually in ways that we can never repay. Every single one of you do. I just think of my own life, just to give you an example. I am in spiritual debt to my parents. My, my parents have done so much for me in so many ways, richly uh, blessed me and you know, sending me to Christian school and a Christian university and paying for my, my master's degree in Bible and, and all the other stuff that they've done for me. Just those are some, some wonderful blessings. I could never repay them for that. I could never repay my wife for her godly influence and effect in my life. I could never repay all of my wonderful Christian friends who have influenced me and helped me along the way. I could never repay my pastors who have influenced me as well, nor my my Christian school teachers or my professors in university who have taught me the Word of God, I can't repay them for that. 
There's no possible way. So I have a huge, massive, unpayable spiritual debt. And so as you think about that, that ought to influence you. That ought to motivate you to forgive other people. The second motive is the possibility of being a blessing. You have the possibility of being a blessing. Look what Paul says in verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. So by forgiving Onesimus, Philemon would then benefit Paul by bringing joy and comfort to him because of his example. If if he's obedient and he's showing love to this person who doesn't deserve it, then that would encourage Paul. It would refresh him. Philemon would then be able to maintain the unity of peace in the Colossian church, and of course that would bring great joy to Paul. It would refresh his heart, as he says. He would be a spiritual blessing. Christians, all Christians, should be motivated by this. We ought to be motivated to forgive because forgiveness will bring joy to other people. Number three, the third motive is the necessity of obedience. Obedience is is just one word we see here. Verse 21, Paul says, Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Wow. (laughs) Wouldn't it be nice to to have that kind of a confidence? When you you tell someone to to do, you're urging someone, you're pleading with them to do something, you know you have that kind of a confidence. You can rely upon them. What a blessing. Paul had confidence in Philemon's obedience to Christ. He didn't doubt that. And he's reminding him of this necessity of obeying Christ here. How is Philemon supposed to obey, though? Well, you can obey out of fear. Some people can obey for other motives, but what's he doing here, though? This is a voluntary, volunteering obedience, if you will. He is voluntarily Obeying out of love for Jesus Christ, that's the right motive. That is the right motive in what we do. When you forgive somebody, is is that why you're forgiving? Are you voluntarily choosing to obey Jesus Christ because you love Him? I hope so. Number four, fourth motive is the acknowledgement of accountability. Accountability is an important thing. We see that a lot in Scripture. There's various people mentioned. Look look at verse 22, for example. Verse 22 says, At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. (laughs) you got to laugh at that a little bit. If if an apostle or a pastor or, or someone says, Hey, I want you to do this. Oh, and, and by the way, I'm going to sh- uh, prepare a room for me because I'm going to show up and hold you accountable. <laughs> do you think you're going to follow through with what someone was asking you to do? Probably. But if nobody shows up and holds you accountable, it's very easy to just kind of let things slip th- through the, the cracks, so to speak, isn't it? So there's an accountability here. Paul expected to be released from his imprisonment. This was his first imprisonment. And so he's asking Philemon to go ahead, prepare a guest room 
where I can stay when I come. Why? Well, Paul's wanting to come himself. He, he's not beating around the bush here. He's just coming right into Philemon's face and saying, Hey, brother, you need to forgive Onesimus. And he, he's going to get right in his face, and he's going he's to be there in person. He's going to find out how he's doing. He's going to hold them accountable. And the Bible says, by the way, all believers are to be accountable to their leaders, spiritual leaders in particular. For example, Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, spiritual leaders have the responsibility of watching over your soul. They will give an account. All pastors, elders, will give an account for the souls that they watch over. And so because leaders are responsible for watching over people, they have the right then to expect accountability from them. Accountability, you have to understand, is a powerful motive for forgiveness. Number five, another motive of someone who forgives is fellowship. The importance of maintaining fellowship. There's various people Paul mentions here. Verse 23, look at verse 23. He mentions Epaphras. Uh, he goes on to mention Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke. So the Christian life is not lived in isolation away from people. Believers don't act alone. And so he's sending a greeting, and he's sending a greeting from five different people who were known. Uh, some of them we know more than others, of course. But Paul's reminding Philemon of his accountability, not just to Paul, but to other people as well. And so failing to forgive Onesimus then would bring him under church discipline. It's important that we forgive. Granting forgiveness then would maintain this unity in the church. So Paul cares about this unity. He cares about maintaining this fellowship. He cares about the peace and the unity in the Spirit and this bond of peace. And so he's encouraging him, hey, these people know you. We care about you. Let's do the right thing. And the last one, we kind of overlook, Paul talks a lot about grace, but notice in verse 25, he mentions the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Yes, Paul talks a lot about grace. And so this is an important motive for someone who forgives. By now, Philemon was hopefully convicted of his need to forgive Onesimus. However, he may have wondered, how am I going to do this? Where is the strength going to come from when this guy comes back? He's standing here in front of him. How am I going to, how am I going to do this? Well, well, the answer is right there, verse 25. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Of course, grace is this divine enabling that God gives to people to accomplish his purposes, to do the right thing. Only by God's grace could Anisimus and Philemon work together and be a part of the same church and be at peace and unity among themselves. It's the only way. So this benediction 
is really a prayer that Philemon and his family and the Colossian church as well would receive God's power to forgive Onesimus. Paul realized that in the flesh, in our, in our own bodies, if you will, this was going to be impossible. And so, what's the natural thing, though? What is the natural thing? What, what do you see in the movies and books and, and, and lived out in life? It's natural for us to get vengeance, to take revenge against people who've wronged us. Isn't That's the natural thing. You ever seen that bumper stick, sticker? This basically tells you what people think, right? Bumper stickers often portray worldly philosophies. And one of them I read one time is, I don't get even, I get ahead. Right? I don't get even. You know, somebody does something to me, well, I'm going to do the same thing back to you. No, a lot of people, it's, no, I'm going to actually get ahead. I'm going to make life even worse. You know, if you, if you take my, you know, if you take my car, I'm going to take two of your cars. You know, that's kind of the perspective a lot of people have. No, the flesh seeks vengeance. God says, no, you show love. <laughs> you show love. You forgive. Everybody needs God's enabling, and that's what grace is. So my friends, think about this as we wrap this up. Forgiveness has a tremendous power to affect our world. It's what the world needs. The world talks about all these conflicts and the turmoils and the wars and the battles. They talk about peace, and of course the Bible says the world's going to talk about peace but they're never really going to have peace until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, the King of Peace, comes and sorts them out, right? That's what the world needs. And forgiveness has the ability, the power to affect our world. And God knew it. Paul knew that. Philemon needed to know it. The Holy Spirit knew that all men and women needed to know this, and that's why we have this wonderful little letter included in the Scriptures. This is a Holy Spirit-inspired letter. It was God-breathed, not just for Philemon, but we, we need this truth. God forgives, and so should we. As God has forgiven us in Christ, so we're to forgive. And so may we take this message to heart. Let's pray.